Is it really possible to make six figures writing copy? How about three times that much? You might be thinking, yeah, it's a possibility, but only after decades or longer of cultivating the right clients and developing your sales skills. Well, that's certainly one pathway there, but our guest for today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast did it in just two years while primarily writing websites and content, not sales copy. Copywriter Stephanie Travato shares how she launched her business as a side hustle during COVID, then went full-time to avoid going back to the office. Two years later, she just cleared over $300,000 in her business. Steph told us how she did it, and she filled us in on her CEO retreats, how she manages her time and family, and how the Copywriter Think Tank helped her do it. But before we get into our interview with Steph, we want to talk about our sponsor for this episode, the Copywriter Think Tank. So I have all this promotional copy in front of me that I should read about the Think Tank and how amazing it is. But I think it's better just to listen to the episode because Steph is a Think Tank member. She's in year two of the Think Tank. And I think she is one of the best examples of what the Think Tank is all about. It's about figuring out what else is possible for your business beyond beyond the basics, right? And beyond what you ever thought was possible for yourself and for your family and for your own business and for your revenue. And so if you resonate with anything Steph is sharing in this episode, um, consider a think tank mastermind and apply. We'll jump on a call and discuss whether or not it's a good fit for you. But I think the best way to sum it up is like the think tank attracts people like Steph who want to challenge themselves and think differently about what they're building and explore what's possible for you. So um, hope you can check that out if you're interested and we'll talk to you about it soon. You can learn more by visiting copywriterthinktank.com. Okay, as we usually do, let's kick off this episode with some details about how Stephanie built a business that honestly earned $300,000 last year. I ended up as a copywriter because of COVID. <laughs> I always did copywriting because I'm a marketer and I used to do dental marketing and wrote the website copy and social media and all that stuff. And I always liked it. And as a kid, I always liked writing in general. So I thought freelance writing would be a good way to earn some extra money because I was tired of waitressing to pay for daycare <laughs> in addition to my full-time job. And so right before 2020, I started freelancing um, for Huffington Post. I made 150 an article and it was like so much money. Like I have made 700 in one month and I was like, Oh my God, I could pay for daycare. This is so great. This is so much money. And I decided to do it right from the beginning. So I made myself into a little LLC on December 30th, 2019. And I opened a business account and did all that. And then we all know what happened in March of 2020. And from there, I just went full force because I didn't have a job because no one was allowed to go to the dentist. <laughs> I had nothing else to do. So I was like, well, I'll see what this is. And in the beginning, it was interesting because it was a lot of messaging because people didn't know how to talk about COVID or how to approach their customers or the take they were supposed to have. And from there, I just blew up. 
So let's uh, dive into that a bit because going from you know writing content for Huffington Post for 150 a post to blowing up, like there's a there, it feels like there's a piece missing there. So what did you do in order to leverage those first few content things that you had done into additional clients? How did you use that to find that next client and then to keep laddering up? Because clearly and we'll get to this, your business is not made up of writing content for $150 a post anymore. Correct. So what was really great about Huffington Post is I had a byline, which is proof. It's social proof. It shows that you know how to write and it shows that you really did it. And so I had, by the end of December, I had like seven bylines. Um, So from there, I took a pitching course, like a cold pitching course, and learned what pitching is, how to do it, who to target, how to target, like research, what to write, all of that. And I had a big Google sheet of a million people (laughs) I wanted to pitch. And I sent like 20 pitches a day. And um, I started with lifestyle brands because that's where my bylines were. And I also reached out to someone I used to work with at a previous company and she was an editor at Apartment Therapy. And they had a bunch of articles like that also. So she gave me like a continuous one and I had a byline there too. So every time I sent a pitch email, I had my proof. I was like, here's where I wrote for this person. And here's where I wrote for this. And that is like what slowly gave me the courage to keep writing. So can we break it down for anyone who's not familiar? Like what is a byline? How did you get the first seven. I mean, I know they start to build and it's like, well, look what I've done here. But at the beginning, how did you start to get the first view? So the, so byline is when you're the author of the article and your name is listed. It's great. A lot of companies don't do it, but a lot do. And um, the first article I wrote was for, it was holiday content. And a friend of mine had posted on her Instagram story, like a friend needs help uh, writing articles. I didn't know who it was for, what it was for. And I was like, sure, why not? I found out it was Huffington Post. She, the editor gave me the first topic. And then she was like, if you have any ideas, let me know. So a lot of um, editors and those types of publications accept pitches and ideas. So I had um, like a few ideas for like uh, gift lists for like if someone just lost somebody and like gift lists for uh, new parents and things like that. And she was pretty open to it and said yes to everything. And that's how I got so many because she had like a, like, those kind of publications, they just have a budget for the month. So they're like, here, I have, you can write five articles. And I, I think I just got lucky in that way that I will, that's the only time I'll say I was lucky because after that it was hard work, but the beginning it was luck. Yeah. Speaking of hard work, 20 pitches a week <laughs> is a ton. No, a day. Oh, sorry. 20 a pitches day. a day. So <laughs> that's hundred pitches a week. Like that sounds nuts. I think to almost, even, even if you've got a system. So let's talk about that pitch. How much of each of those pitches was original? What were you doing? How did you identify the clients? Like, let's really go deep on this system that you used uh, to get yourself out in front of the clients you wanted to work with. Sure. So I made some buckets. Um, So I had like my lifestyle content bucket, uh, dental marketing and like, you know, healthcare in general. And then my previous experience, like in marketing operations and startups and digital marketing in general, like more agency side. So I had those little buckets and I literally would just sit there and Google like digital marketing agency near me, 
digital marketing agency uh, in this town, in that town, like use different search terms and see what came up. There's millions. And then from there, I would go see if they had a blog. If they did, great. Because in the beginning, I just pitched uh, blogs. So I would see if they had a blog or not. If they did, I would see how often they updated it. Uh, You could kind of tell like a lot of people put the dates so you could see if all of a sudden like it just totally dropped and you're like, oh, well, they must need help. Um, Or if they were um, authoring something every week, like or every two weeks, maybe they want to go to every week and just like finding that little gap so you can mention it in the email. So I would like have a column for their name that, you know, what they needed, what I thought I would pitch. And then I would go, I used Hunter, that little IO extension and found their email addresses. You can also do it on LinkedIn. You can kind of figure out there's only so many cadences that people use for emails. Uh, so it's kind of easy to figure out. And when you do Gmail, I, I feel like now it's better. It lets you, like when you start to type in an email, if it's actually a person, like their picture will pop up, their email for real will pop up and you're like, oh, got it. And then I would be like, hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm a freelance writer. I noticed um, your blog articles um, have dropped off lately. I've really enjoyed reading them, especially check in that one. And you would like pick one and actually talk about it and try not to sound generic. Um uh, and then I would usually like pitch a few ideas, like not too in depth, but just like be like, I'd love to help you with some new ideas and put a little bullet list of like three or four ideas. Um, and then follow up like three days later, if I didn't hear, then follow up like another week later after that. And people for the most part responded. It was somewhere, no, somewhere, not right now, somewhere great, somewhere we don't work with freelance writers and, and that's totally fine. But I, found from the beginning that following up was the only way to really get an answer because people are busy and you know how fast emails drop to the bottom of the inbox. So most people were appreciative and were like, thank you for reminding me. Oh yes. I'd love to have a conversation. And that's how it all began. Let's talk more about the follow-up because this is like, you're right. The follow-up is key here and it trips up a lot of copywriters. They're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to share with them. It feels invasive. Um, do you have any tips for the follow-up series, especially, okay, I sent the first one, they still haven't responded. What about second, third, fourth? How do you view those? Uh, simple is better. I literally write, I still do it to this day, even if I'm like in the middle of talking to someone and I'm like, all of a sudden I disappear. Uh, I'll be like, hi, not sure if you saw my last email, just wanted to follow up with my pitch ideas, hoping we can chat about your content needs soon. That's it. And the next one, um, I would like, Depending on the company and like my feelings of the week, how many times I would follow up. Sometimes I'd follow up two times, three times. Um, so then like the next one would be similar language, just as short. And then my final one, I would always say, um, just wanted to follow up one last time and to see if you had any content needs or would like to have a conversation about in the future. And I would leave it at that. And someone would be like, can you please email me again in three months? Can you do this? Um, or yes, we'll keep you on the list or things like that. Everyone's different, but that's the only way I got answers. And what was the hit rate? Uh, about what percent did you connect with uh, at, at, to get an answer? And then I guess what percent actually hired you to do work for them? I would say like 80% of people answered. Most people didn't ignore, especially if you follow up. Um, and out of people who said yes, maybe like 25 to 40% of those people. Nice. And then how long did you have to do this 
because it feels like 20 a day is not sustainable for years and years. So how long did you have to do this process in order to basically get your business to the point where it was closer to self-sustaining? I would say like three months. Three months was like a good, because then I had consistent clients or um, in the beginning, I wasn't sure of my workload, like how much can I actually do? And like, I was also working around my husband being home, my daughter taking naps. Like it was, it was COVID life. It was like a free for all. So I didn't have like a set schedule. So I didn't know like when enough was enough. Um, as long as I made like more than I was making in the beginning, um, that was all I cared about. Okay. So when, when were you like, okay, this is working, but now I need to figure out the next steps to get to the next stage of my business. Like parts of it is working, parts of it not working. What does the next level look like? When did that happen for you? So I had started pitching in February of 2020. And by the summer of that year, I was like, oh, okay, this is like a real thing. I can like make real money. Like I don't need to go back to work. Um, I was still going to work because it was was supposed to be remote. So I was like, whatever, I could do both. And then in August of that year, um, I was asked to come back full time into the office and I was like, no way. I'm never going back again. <laughs> so then I decided like, okay, well it's like now or never, like, I'm just going to do this full time. So I quit and just like my mindset changed. And I was like, okay, like, this is my business now. This is not like fun. This is not side money. And I think that's like when I really shifted. And how did your pricing change over that time? So you started at 150 an article, but by the summer when you quit your job, were you still charging that rate or had your prices increased? What were you doing differently? Um, they increased, I would say, to like 250 an article. Um, and I also got more jobs on like an hourly rate. So like more agency work, which tends to be um, an hourly rate and things like that. All right. So it's funny that you're saying, you know, in August, when you quit your job, your mindset changed and you were like, I'm really serious about this now. I'm going to go all in because sending 20 pitches a day sounds pretty serious, you know, and that was happening previously. So then what happened when you decided this is it, left my job, I'm going to go all in. What were some of those changes in your, your focus and attention? What were you focused on at that point? I was focused on a having less one-off jobs um, and like an article and an A this and A that. And I wanted more consistent, like full marketing campaigns. So I focused much more on copywriting. And uh, one of like my biggest breaks, I guess you could call it, is I started working with Travel and Leisure, which was Wyndham Destinations at the time. And I did like full marketing campaigns, like ads, website copy, landing pages, email, like literally everything. And then I even got to like dabble into the magazine, which was cool. Okay. So today you're not doing blog posts anymore. Your your business has changed pretty uh, considerably. Tell us about what kinds of projects you typically take on today and how they're different from what you were doing those for that first year. So I do not work with lifestyle brands at all <laughs> anymore. I do strictly a B2B SaaS, um, like MarTech, AdTech, EdTech, um, and like workplace productivity type products. I don't do B2C and I do e-commerce because uh, it ties in a lot with SaaS. And I still do blog articles, but they're just totally different now. Like those were like listicles of... Um, you know, like best gifts and like these Airbnb, Airbnbs to stay at and like check out this 
friends, you know, coffee set. <laughs> like and now it's um, like more bottom of the funnel, mid- middle of the funnel, like sales driven blog posts, if I'm going to do blog posts, and then website copy and email copy and social copy. So and why did you move away from the lifestyle and choose SaaS tech? You know, why the switch and how did you go? What was the, the thinking process on that? So lifestyle doesn't pay that well. <laughs> um, but I also, I wanted to be more challenged. So I felt like it was too easy. Um, it wasn't like interesting enough for me. I'm a much more like marketing and business and like analytical person. So I wanted to be in that field, but I also enjoy making words more, more human, like making them more valuable to the reader and like able to connect. And I felt like the B2B audience is a place to do that where like B2C, everything's like that. So I wanted more of a challenge by doing it in B2B. I need some of those listicles for holiday gifts, like right about now. They probably still apply. I should find them. I think yeah, please <laughs> send all of those to me because I need to do all of my holiday shopping. Um, <laughs> I would like to hear more about your transition from content to copywriting and thinking more about the funnel strategically, because that's a jump that a lot of content writers want to make. And it oftentimes we get in our own way and, or we don't know how to make that jump. What helped you make that transition? So I, in the beginning, I didn't realize like I was a copywriter because I, I, I thought of copywriting like as very sales, like salesy stuff. Um, and that's like not what I was used to writing, but then I learned like, oh, I've already written a bunch of websites and all this other stuff. Like I do write copy. And so that's what I enjoy writing because I enjoy the less is more like taking on the brand voice and really like transforming. Like it's I enjoy revamping something instead of net new, like when it comes to website copy, because I, for me, it's easier to like read something and be like, oh, no, 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 like that, that's not good. Like it should be this instead. I feel like it gets my creative juices flowing better. Um, But that stint that I had at Travel and Leisure, I was there for like with them for a year and a half is when I really like fell in love with copy because that's when you couldn't travel, (laughs) but we still had to write about traveling and how amazing it is so I was able to like romanticize it and that's what was like so fun like this is such bs like what am I writing about you can't even go to any of these places but like I'm going to talk about them anyways so that's when I really started enjoying it and I was like oh I could do this and like it's it's so much of a mind game I feel like with copywriting because a lot of people I feel like think they're that their copy has to be proven by sales or like some measurable statistic and if they don't have it and, or if they have no proof of it, then they can't do it. That's not true. <laughs> you're just, your, your words are on a website to represent a brand and what they do depends on what page you're writing for, who you're writing for. Like not everything is completely like reliant on sales. Like I don't write sales pages. I'm not good at those. Like I don't, I'm not um, persuasive enough. I don't know what it is. I feel like an infomercial when I write them, like they feel funny for me. Other people are fantastic at them, but like don't like social copy or email copy at all. So there's so many different buckets of copy that I feel like um, just using the term copywriter in general scares people, but you can be good at one and you don't have to do the rest. It's okay. It's interesting that you say that because there are a lot of people who argue that in order to make really good money as a copywriter, you have to write sales copy. You have to write sales pages. You have to be close to the sale, but you're writing a lot of content. You're writing a lot of 
top and middle funnel content for your clients. And uh, if you're if you're willing to share, you're making a lot of money, you know, as a copywriter, you're not doing, it's not $700 a month anymore as, as big money. I have a feeling that'd be super disappointing. Um, so talk a little bit about that shift as well. You know, how do, how do you get clients to buy into paying good money for content and how, I mean, what are you making in your business today, writing that top and middle of funnel content? Yeah. So I have never written a sales page and I don't think I ever will. Maybe I will one day. I can't say never, but I have never done it. So you can make money without writing like official sales copy. I don't do like launches or any of those things. So when I started my business, my goal, my first year was 30K because that was enough to pay for daycare, which is like crazy to think about now because I'm like, oh my God, that's how much I would pay for daycare. I think that's (laughs) kindergarten now. Um, So... (laughs) Um, when I was like that summer that I started, um, copywriting, like the summer of 2020, I had already made 30 K. So I was like, Oh, I need to like relook at this. So, um, I didn't really have any goals, but I was like, I can make more money than this. So my first year I ended up, um, like one, one, 120, 140, somewhere around there. And I was like, Holy crap, you can make so much money. So then I was like, okay. I need to charge more because I was like working a lot. I had a ton of clients and I was like, I need to redo my rates or something like I should be making more doing less. So that was my focus um, for 2021 was to get better paying clients. So there are plenty of clients who will not pay you, don't want to pay you. That was another reason I also wanted to shift my writing like where I did it because I was tired of having to like prove my worth all the time and like argue my rates because there's plenty of people out there that want the best deal. And I get that. Like I'm like that as a consumer, but I would never do that just like a service business ever. (laughs) Um, So I was like, okay, I'm tired of defending myself and like having to negotiate my rates that I felt were like low enough. So I started using LinkedIn more and focusing more like on the B2B and I would find people who were already looking for a freelance writer, already like in the had a content need of some sort. And I would have the budget conversation from the beginning. And some people are pretty upfront about it. And they'll be like, they'll ask you what your rates are, or you can say, can you share your budget with me? And what's the worst they're going to say to you? No. And then like, all right. So then we have to have another conversation, but they usually do. And it helps because then you could be like, my blog rate is $500. And they're like, oh, we only have... 150. So like, thank you. We appreciate it. But like, obviously we're really far apart. And then you save everyone time. So I just became more upfront about talking about pricing in general and finding people who had a brand already. So the the bigger the client, usually the more marketing budget they have, not always. And sometimes like the biggest brands pay terribly. So it's not like a, a one for all thing, but looking for those brands that you could tell, like when you were on their websites, had good website copy, had good pages, had a blog, like sent out emails, like knew what content was and why it was important. And the more I focused on that, the more money I started making with more, you know, retainer clients. Like, so it might be like um, 30 hours a month at, I don't know, $3,000 or something like that. And that would cover email copy, website copy, things like that. So then as I focused on that more, then I 
saw my income literally double. So last year I made 230 and my goal for this year was 250. And as of yesterday, I hit 295. So um, I'll probably end the year at like 315, 320, which is like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what is, I don't know. What is that? <laughs> that's game changing money. That's a, money. That's a really big number. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's incredible. Congratulations. Um, I think it would be easy to hear some of these numbers and say, well, Steph must work all the time. She must be working with 20 clients. And I, I couldn't do that. I don't want to do that. But we know that you've, you've figured it out and you've been working on simplifying. And I know it's an ongoing process, but can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to take on and grow the business without necessarily you know, over-stressing yourself or um, working a crazy schedule that doesn't work for you and your family? Yes. So there is a huge learning curve. You like, you're not just going to like make 300 K and like be a pro overnight. So I'm, I'm three years into my business now. And I finally, like, I think in like June of this, this year is where I finally started feeling like, okay, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like everything just felt more consistent and more comfortable. And I learned my schedule. So obviously this is dependent on a lot of things. My daughter's five now, so she's in a kindergarten. So her schedule is pretty set unless COVID starts hitting again. And then, you know, the world's going to end. And then I have also learned like when I work best, when I don't work best, that all takes time. Like I used to work on weekends. I used to work at night whenever I could, because I would overload myself and try to get a million things done. And I didn't know my limit. I don't think I like have a limit, but like, I know when I'm like bored, (laughs) if I get too overwhelmed, then I get bored. I'm like, forget I'm not doing any of it. So I've learned that threshold, but that takes time. So now I've learned, I wake up early. Everyone thinks I'm nuts. We've had this conversation before. So usually two or three days a week, I wake up and I start working at 4.30 in the morning because that's when I'm creative. If I could just work at that time, like till 10 a.m., that would be great. But my daughter goes to school, so that doesn't work. So I usually work from 4.30 to 6.30 and then she wakes up, but I get a lot done in those two hours. Like that's when I write the best. and then. I work again from like 9 a.m. and then on an awful day because I have a dog and like I'll go do other things um, until around 4 p.m. And I do that pretty much every day. Sometimes I'll just wake up early and work because I want to go do something during the day. Like I want to go to a bar class or I want to go get a massage. So I've learned to balance my time, but that took me like two and a half years to learn. So what I've been doing that's working is paying attention like you have it's hard because like you think you know yourself but you don't like unless you start really taking note of what you feel when you feel it so I just thought I woke up early because I had to and then I was like no I actually like really like this like I hate working at night I don't I don't do well I can like invoice that's about as good as it's gonna get I can't do anything at night my brain is much and I don't like working on weekends because it gives me like anxiety because I feel like I'm missing something um but you don't know that until you do it. And you start really being like, Hey, why do I feel this way? Or, Oh, I feel really great right now. What am I doing? Like I I have a treadmill right next to me because like I have to walk every day or I lose my mind. But these are all things you learn, like as you go. So it's okay. If you don't know, it's okay. If you don't know how much you should make, how much you should work when you can work, like, and things will change. Life changes. Like 
when I worked two years ago, my daughter was three and I was not working like a full-time schedule. I was just working whenever I could. Now it feels more like a full-time job, but I would say I really work like 30 hours a week. Yeah, that's not bad given the money that you're bringing in. (laughs) So you have been called the Kobe Bryant of copywriting uh, by us, I think. Um, (laughs) I I am curious if you would tell us just a little bit about the mindset that goes into that Mamba approach to your business and the resilience, the dedication, the hard work that goes into it and how you, I mean, you've kind of told us a bit about that already, but are there um, specific things that you're doing to make sure that that's happening every single day, every single week that you're bringing that discipline uh, in order to help you succeed? Yes. So I thought what I was doing was like what everybody was doing because you don't know until like you actually start talking to people like the copywriter club and in the think tank (laughs) that like, oh, not everybody does everything you think. Um, So my husband is a huge basketball fan and he's the one who was like, you should talk about your Mamba mentality. I was like, what? Because like we had watched the documentary. I knew what he was talking about, but he was like, that's who you are. Like, that's what you have. So I started thinking about it more and I was like, oh, like. F yeah, like that is who I am. <laughs> so I would say like what, what sets me apart and what makes me different as the Kobe Bryant of copywriting is I am super persistent. I understand that not everyone's going to say yes to me, but it doesn't hurt to try. And it's, it's okay if it doesn't happen on the first try. So I always am persistent with my follow-ups. Like I talked about with like literally everything in life. Like I just don't usually take no for an answer. Um, I wake up early. Uh, so Kobe Bryant used to wake up early every day and work out before his team workouts because he didn't want to sacrifice time with his family like at night. So he sacrificed his sleep and I'm the same way. Like I could function on less sleep because I'd rather that than miss out on something that's actually important. Like I'll get sleep. It's fine. Like I'll make it up. I don't do it every single day. Um, boundaries are a huge thing. So the more I've like done research into mama mentality, Kobe was so much about boundaries and like only doing what mattered to him. And I've learned so much from, from you guys about boundaries. And so now I have a mindset coach and I talk about boundaries with her all the time and I've figured out what my boundaries are and they've made me a better business owner because I, if you don't have boundaries, you run yourself to the ground because you're essentially just being everyone's employee then. Like then you're not a business owner. So the boundaries have helped me not work weekends, not work on vacations, um, make sure I'm there at the bus stop every morning and every afternoon. Um, I also ask for help because you can't do everything alone as much as you want to. I'm a super mom. I know that my husband is that. <laughs> but I have no problem asking him for help and he is very supportive and voices it. And that has helped so much because I have a hard time asking sometimes. So he'll call me out on it and it does feel so much better. Like I think I can get it all done and I probably could, but I'll feel like crap by the end of the day. So it's a lot more important to balance my mindset and my time and my mental health and just like keep myself and my family like as a priority. So let's break in here to talk a little bit about a few of the things that Steph has been sharing. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of notes that as I was listening to that I want to hit on, but Kira, again, I'm going to let you go first. What really jumped out to you? 
Well, I mean, COVID copywriters are blowing me away. Steph and then others that we've interviewed on the show and that we just know in the Copywriter Club community um, who started during COVID and have just taken off over the last few years and are now generating, you know, 300K a year in their businesses. Um, I'm just kind of blown away because to me, you know, it still feels like that was just yesterday. Yes, just yesterday. I know it wasn't, um, but still, that's still recent. And it just blows my mind to think about what is possible in a short period of time if you're focused and persistent um, and you don't take no for an answer like Steph. So I think it's, you know, it's just that realization from this conversation and many others that we've had that so much is possible in a short period of time. And Steph is such a great example of that. Yeah, I wonder what's going on with that because you're right. There, we've talked to a bunch of people and, and many outside of the podcast as well, where people started their business in COVID and they've had remarkable success. And I, I wonder if it's because these were people who were very successful in whatever they were doing before, but because they couldn't do it, now they could shift that mindset or those good habits into another business and they're succeeding anyway. Or if there's just something about the economy that changed during COVID where people realized, hey, we need more content. We need more copy. We need to be able to sell more through the words because we don't have people walking into our stores. We don't have some of the things that we had three years ago that helped us promote. I'm not sure what it is, but you're exactly right. COVID has produced a lot of copywriters who are doing really well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hashtag COVID copywriter. That's the group. And if you are one of those COVID copywriters, please reach out to us. I'd love to hear from you because I have more questions for you about what's what happened, what was working, what helped you take off. Um, so please reach out to us. Yeah. One of the things that really helped Steph take off, and again, this number just blows me away, but sending out 20 pitches a day, she got eight answers on 80% of them. So that's, that's you know 16 answers a day. And 20, 40% of those 20 are saying yes. So somewhere around, you know, four to eight people every single day. Like doing that, having that kind of a success rate doesn't take very long to fill up your business with clients who, you know, need the thing that you're offering. And so, you know, we, we teach the P7 Landing Clients Now course that's all about pitching. We share all kinds of templates in that. But the, the things that Steph did are, you know, really smart, lots of pitches, lots of follow-up. And if you do that, you are going to succeed, assuming that your, you know, your pitch solves a real problem for your client. Yeah. I remember when we first sat down with Steph, when she just joined the think tank and, and I didn't know her well yet. And, um, I was try just trying to kind of like figure her out on our first hour long call. And I remember when we started talking about her follow-up game and her persistence, that's when I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is what separates Steph from so many other people is that she does not take no for an answer. She is one of the most persistent people I know. And I mean that in such a good way. She um, follows up with everyone she reaches out to as she shared. She follows up with us too, right? If we have a conversation with uh, Steph on a think tank call and we're like, hey, here's an idea. You could do this. Most people will just kind of let it go. It'll fade. But Steph jumps in, she does the thing, and then she follows up with us until we move forward with the idea. And that's just, you know, that's, we can all do that, right? It's not like an innate gift that only Steph has. We can all get better at that. I know I can get better at that. And um, I think that's been such a huge part of her success. 
Yeah, I agree. Follow-up is key. And there are so many people who just drop things after a first contact or a second contact, or even thinking about your existing clients, clients that you've worked with in the past, and we don't ask them for additional work. We don't reach out to them once we're done. I'm assuming that most of those experiences for people are good experiences. They might want to work with them again, and yet we just don't. We just assume that 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 person's done with us and they need to move on, which is interesting for two reasons. One, in our own personal businesses, we should be doing more of it. It would help us to grow without so much outreach and, and pitching. But also, it's an opportunity if you're one of those who will pitch and follow up, knowing that the last copywriter that this client you're pitching uh, two probably isn't following up. And so when your name appears in the inbox, there's an opportunity for you to start working with them now. Yeah. So um, Rob, what else stood out to you when we started talking about money? Were there any lessons related to um, you know, how Steph was able to bring in over 300K? There are a couple of things. Number one, Steph is not afraid to talk about money. She, she mentioned that she talks about it right up front and the money thing is part of the conversation. This is another place where so many copywriters are afraid to talk about the money, where we want to make sure that we're throwing out a price that the client's going to accept. And so if some, if we know something's worth, say, $5,000, we say, oh, I can do it for $3,500 because we know that offering that kind of a bargain for a client is an easy yes. But that's really not true. Uh, oftentimes that shows that we're not confident in what we do. And Steph obviously shows up on her calls, very confident, saying, this is the value that I bring to the table. This is what it costs. She also structured her work so that it's more about retainers. So it's not one-offs, but she switched to doing more campaigns, helping people with larger projects, doing more retainers so that she doesn't have to continually go out looking for new clients. I think those two are kind of a one-two punch about being smarter about making more money. So also we should note that, you know, Steph, was talking about money, but also how she's making, you know, great money, really great money without writing sales pages or working on launch copy um, or working in direct response. And and so she's doing it her way. And I think it's just such a great example of like there is money to be made in so many different areas. And it's not just one traditional path for copywriters only. Um, and so I appreciate that she shared that with us too. Yeah, I agree. One other thing that she threw out there that to me, it was kind of a throwaway line as she was talking, and I didn't really, it didn't really register with me the first time we were talking, but I noticed it the second time is when she was talking about how there's this idea that you need proof that you can do something and that that's not really true. And I know this comes up a lot when we're talking to our students in the accelerator, in the underground, but so many of us feel like we need to be able to prove that we can do this thing that we uh, say that we can do with numbers, with previous projects. And Steph's approach to that, is, again, you know, that's not really true. What you need to do is build trust, show them there's this opportunity here, talk about the value you can bring to the table. There's so many ways to do that without needing that proof. And I, I know because we talk about this a lot in our programs, we maybe have mentioned it a few times in the podcast before, but it's a really important point just because you haven't got the proof that you delivered X number of sales or a 20% increase on whatever does not mean that you can't still do the thing. Yeah. And I think it's just your your mindset and Steph's mentality is just about learning as you go. And so she did mention that. And it just, when you think about everything that way, it's like, well, yeah, I can take on this project I've never actually jumped into before because I'll learn as I go and then it'll be easier next time. And I can always ask for help and I can figure it out with the resources I have. 
or I've already invested in and just figure it out rather than pulling myself out of the ring and not doing it, which is what many of us do. We just, we get in our own way and, um, you know, and just being comfortable knowing that along the way things can get uncomfortable or even painful and we're going to make mistakes and that's okay because we'll continue to learn as we go. And so she's clearly done a lot of work, a lot of mindset work, um, even just being part of the think tank, right? You expose yourself to so many different perspectives that change how you operate and think. Um, Steph also mentioned investing in her own mindset coach. You know, we talk about mindset all the time. I have a mindset coach. Also, we have Linda Perry, who's, you know, one of our favorite mindset coaches in the think tank. So (laughs) it's like, this stuff really makes a difference. Mindset is no joke. And Steph is proof that, um, you know, investing in your mindset can go such a long way. Yeah, definitely. And last thing that I want to mention from this half of the interview, as Steph was talking about her schedule and, you know, things like getting up early, working when, uh, you know, her daughter's taking a nap or is away from the house, whatever. She's very deliberate in building a schedule that works around her life rather than the other way around. And I think I often do this and I, I know lots of other people do we try to balance our life around work instead of work around life. And I admire that she's been able to do that. And it's something that as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I'm going to do more of that where (laughs) I'm making work work for me instead of moving my, you know, everything else around to fit it in. I'm going to reach out to you tomorrow and you're going to, you won't be available. You'll be a. That's right. I'm going to be on an airplane, but I'll be traveling, (laughs) traveling away. You won't be able to get me. Yeah. No, I, I think about that often. And I, I have weeks where I'm really good at it. And, um, you know, I'm prior, prioritizing my life. And then I fit work in and work always gets done. And then there are a couple of weeks where, you know, work just does get more intense. And that that can happen. And I think the trick is, and work can take over. So you're doing more working than living. And I think it's okay in my mind if that happens for a short period of time and there's an end date. And the hardest part is then getting back on track so that you're living more and, and fitting work into your life. Um, and that's that's hard because there's a whole you know struggle there where once you get off track, it feels so hard to get back on track. But if you can do that and make those switches and realize that some days I actually will need to put in more hours, I, I will need to ha- hit that deadline or finish that project, and then the next day I can jump back into my schedule where I'm prioritizing my workout or my health or my relationships, um, you know, that it's tricky. It's a tricky balance and we're all, all figuring it out. But I do like that we touched on the 4.30 a.m. mornings. And especially because what I caught from her that stood out to me is that she doesn't do a 4.30 a.m. morning every day. And that's also how I approach it. Like I'll do a couple early mornings, but I still like to sleep in. So I'll do it earlier in the week get a lot of stuff done. And then by Friday, Saturday, you know, if I can sleep in till seven or eight, that's a great week. And so that flexibility is pretty cool because usually people just set the time and it's hard to kind of shift throughout the week. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I, I'm going to say I sleep in longer on the weekends. I'm, you know, 5 a.m. through the week, but uh, I know the experts say you should always get up and go to bed at the exact same time. That's but- not fun. And it's not realistic, you know, with, with weekends, you want to spend some time with a partner or with your family. You know, sometimes there are other things to do. So uh, weekends, at least I'll sleep in, but during the week, uh, I'm not up as early as Steph, but close. And I love that sleeping in for me, at least I'm like, can I sleep in till seven 30? 
Yeah, exactly. That's, That's not sleeping in. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to our interview with Steph and get into the details about how she manages her time. Okay. A couple of clarifying questions before my real question. So you mentioned getting up early a couple days a week and I'm asking, cause I also like to do the same, but do you just do it, you know, three or four days a week? And then you sleep in a little bit more the other days. I know this is very specific, but it will help me. I usually, so I usually do it like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, cause I don't like starting my week that way. Then I'll just be tired. And then I go to sleep I'll like be laying in bed by eight o'clock. My daughter falls asleep at like seven 30. So that helps. Um, and then my husband and I have a deal as long as like, we don't have to get up early for something. Um, we each get a weekend morning to sleep in. So like, that's usually when I'll make it up. <laughs> okay. Got it. Okay. That helps. And then can you just talk through what your typical month looks like? Because again, we're talking about some big numbers, so it helps to picture okay, does that mean you have five retainers? Does that mean you have two retainers and then two website projects? Like what is an average month that has helped you get to this financial level? So I would say majority of my clients now are retainer clients. Um, So they can be like priced differently, like the structure of them. Like some of them are an hourly, like, you know, 10 hours a month for whatever, or some of them are deliverables. So like, um, three articles a month, $1,200, like things like that. So my workload has become much more consistent and, um, predictable, which is helpful. Um, like even December is a slow month for everybody. Like there's just less work to do. So I had a bunch of clients who were like, Oh, I'm not going to have anything, but I'll have it in January. So then I was like, initially I was like, Oh shit, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot less money. And then I just like put it in my spreadsheet really quick. And I was like, oh, actually it's not. So I would say like my last five months um, have averaged around 30K and like December will be 24K. So yes, it's a lot less, but like it's still a lot of money. If so, um, my, I've also learned to like my perspective, like to just pay attention to that because it's really easy to fall into the, like, woe is me or like, oh no. And like go into panic. Like I'm someone who like, if a, if a client canceled, I used to be like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And like, I'd have that anxiety and have to go find something. And I wouldn't feel better until I did where now I'm like, okay, like it's fine. Like, and that took a lot of work and a lot of like mindset work. And that's why I've been working with the mindset coach, but I've noticed how different I feel. And I feel like I have more control now. Yeah. I, I want to go back to your agreement with your husband on the weekend <laughs> morning things. Cause well, I, I actually think this is pretty important. So, you know, my wife and I do not necessarily have the same sleep schedules. You know, I get up early like you do. Uh, I go for a run by about five 15. I'm usually out, you know, on the roads, whatever. Um, and my wife tends to take the evenings and, which she likes because our kids get chatty or whatever, you know, and, and teenagers like to talk at night. So I, I miss out on some of that stuff, which is maybe not a great thing, but it works for us having, having that support. Um, and I know that's a privilege. Not everybody has that. Maybe they don't have a supportive partner. Maybe they have a partner who isn't supporting like those, those things happen. Um, so I, you know, I, and I, I'm not sure really what my question is here other than, you know, are there other places where you get support from your partner or you're offering them support that makes that trade-off work for you guys that maybe we can borrow some into our own, our own lives and experiences as well? Yeah. 
So I, I had no idea that you woke up early every day and ran like, see, you're part of the early morning club. I am. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm there every morning. Yeah. Um, it took us, I don't know why it took us so long to figure it out that like one of us should just sleep while the, we don't both need to be awake at the same time in the morning. We only learned that like in the last year. Um, and I would say, yes, it's a privilege. We only have one kid. It helps. Like she's easy. We don't have like a baby. We don't have all these different things. She's in that age now where like now she has more activities and all that stuff. So as the mom, I feel like I do more of those. And like he likes to go sometimes because he wants to watch. But I go because there's another mom there and her friend is there. And it's like easier for me to have like the soccer mom talk than for him to do it. Um, but I would say you have to voice it. Like it's really easy to snap at each other to be like, oh my God, I'm so tired. Like, how do you not see how much work I'm doing? And that's what I used to do. I used to be like, are you kidding me? Like, how do you, how do you not see all this? Where um, we learned how to communicate better. And both of us, both of us have voiced um, what works and what doesn't. So last year, like around this time, I was waking up early every day because I had a lot of work to do. And he hated it because I was not fun. <laughs> he like he was like, I can't, you can't do this. Like this is too much, and you're not fun to be around, and you're not enjoying life, and you're not really here. And he was right, but I just needed to be called out on it. And that's how I kind of figured out like more of my balance. So I feel like you don't sometimes you don't figure things out until like something bad happens or it just like is too much. And that's okay. Like that's the usually the way people learn. You have to learn the hard way. I am a big example of that my whole life um but also just he has gotten better also about asking for help or being like I need a minute to myself or like I'm gonna go here is that okay we also have a huge calendar that's like well like I don't know it's like 24 by 24 it's in the kitchen and it's acrylic and I fill it out every month with all the details so that he knows what's coming up and I know what's coming up and he doesn't have to ask me even though he still does <laughs> um but it's more like he can kind of see like, oh, you have a lot to do this month. And it's not like work stuff. It's just life. And he, but he knows that's on top of work. So he'll be like, oh, I could do this or I can do that. And like, just talk, like, even if it's for 10 minutes. So I've learned that he is not an early morning person and never will be. And that's okay. He's cranky in the morning. Um, I'm like, (laughs) and so I talk to my daughter instead of him that much in the morning because she's like me. And then at night she falls asleep at seven 30 and we usually watch wheel of fortune. And then um, I go upstairs and he goes and works out. And like, that's our routine right now. I always make dinner. Like there's certain things that like we, both of us always do. And that's like, that takes time. And I definitely miss out on stuff and he definitely misses out on stuff. But instead of focusing on that, like you said, you miss out on your kids' conversations. Like that stinks. Cause I'm sure they're like when your teenagers actually like you, you like you want to talk to them. So maybe like um, finding a, a different moment, like, oh, I'll drive you here or like, let's go here. And like just being more aware to make that time so that you don't feel like you're missing out because then it's going to make you uh, resent your business. All right. Um, I want to make sure we have time to talk about the retreat. So I'm going to pivot and dig in. I know we've talked a lot about hosting retreats, business retreats on the podcast. Um, I do one once a month. Love it. I'd like to hear about your retreat and one, how it's helped you since you've started doing it. And then two, what you do during that time. Cause I think it's also really confusing. It's like, okay, so you book 
time for yourself to focus on your business, but what do you actually do for that day or for the three days? Sure. So I always feel funny talking about it to people who don't have their own business. Cause like, you know, you get a face, like you're going on a trip by yourself. Like, Oh, lucky. Like I'm not like going to sleep. So I always explain it as just like companies take their employees on a retreat um, to focus on like big picture business. You can do the same thing for your own business. And I don't know where this idea was like where, when I started, because I didn't know about it. Um, And I only learned about it last this past year. And when I first read it, I was like, Oh, I don't think I'm there yet. But then I was in, I'm in Think Tank and we've had conversations about it. And you were like, yeah, CEO day. And I was like, yeah, like that's so smart. But I also know that I can't do that at home. Like some people do it every week at home. I am, I will go do laundry. I will go do anything else, but like do something I'm supposed to do. So um, I started reading more about it and like really researching like how different entrepreneurs took a retreat for their own business to focus on their goals and their big picture ideas and things that you think you'll have time for when you're home and working, but you will never have time for because it's, it requires you to disconnect from everything else. So in May of this year, I did my first one and it was two nights. I rented an Airbnb and like 40 minutes from my house in this cute little town that I could like walk everywhere. And I made an agenda before I went and I had my like my goals and my actions that I wanted to do. So it could be like there was uh, figure out my recurring expenses, um, figure out my offers and packages, take a course that I had like been meaning to take, read a few articles that I had been meaning to read, but they were so long that I was like, yeah, next time, next time. And like taking notes from it, listening to certain podcasts, I had it all listed out and I divided it by day. Um, I didn't like put times or anything because I didn't want to make it rigid. And I also built in where I was going to eat and when I was going to like go for a walk or go do something else besides work. I prepared for it ahead of time. So I did not do any client work on it. I closed all of my tabs, which if you know me before I learned about one tab, um, I had like 50 of them open all the time. So I closed everything. So I wouldn't be distracted. I kept Slack off. I turned off all my notifications. I deleted my apps on my phone. So I wouldn't look at work. I only looked at big picture stuff. And then I had like one main focus a day. So I spent one whole day with um, websites that I had already marked that I really liked their copy or their services page or something like that. And I dove deep into them and figured out what I liked and didn't like and started a huge Google Doc and then just slowly figured out what I wanted to say, who I wanted to be. Um, I also picked some clients that I wanted to pitch, like some new clients. I, I did a lot. Um, but I, when I was done, I like can't even ex- explain to you like how good it felt. Like I was like my first day in my business. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm going to go do all these things. And I just felt so revived and like it was so necessary. I can't believe I had never done it before. So I was like, oh my God, when's my next one going to be? But then like finding <laughs> more days to do it is not easy all the time. So I, my next one starts today and this time it's three nights because I learned I needed one more day because I just felt a little rushed. Um, And this time my focus is totally different. And I didn't even realize it until I looked at the agenda from last time versus this time. So last time it was much more, if you look at it, it sounded like I was like a beginner and I was trying to figure all my stuff out like in the moment. Um, And this time 
it's very much big picture and future and like what I want to do next. Um, so some of those things are like, I'm actually going to like brand myself and like get a, you know, some, some typography and a, some colors and redo my site. And I'm going to start posting on LinkedIn, like as me, like I am active on LinkedIn and I join conversations and all that, but I've never really posted because I've always been like, eh, I don't know what I want to write. Um, but now I want to, and I'm also going to build out or like start to build out and figure out, I want to like be more of a, I don't even want to call it a coach because it's, I, I'm calling it a helper for now, but I really have learned from thinking that I just like helping people and like giving advice. And, um, I am an open book when it comes to like anything business and like personal life too. I don't care, but I, um, I, and it like fills my bucket. It always feels good to help people, whether it's like, you know, a donation or giving back or whatever, but I've learned in my business, it feels really good to give back to other people. So it doesn't have to be copywriters. I, I have learned, and I've also learned from my mindset coach because she's the one who pointed it out and said like, do you know how many small business owners and like entrepreneurs I talk to that would pay someone to teach them how to write copy because they want to write their own. They just don't know how, or like just how to be a better copywriter. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. Like she's like, people don't know what they're not good at, but like they, and they don't know how to find help. So I started thinking about it more. And so I want to build out some kind of um, like membership, like on Voxer or something like that, where I can be a sounding board and um, people can ask me questions and just kind of learn to do it themselves. Like, because most of these people that I would be targeting may not have the budget for a huge website revamp and all those things, but it doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to write good copy and maybe taking a course is not what they need. Like maybe they just need someone to like, you know, tell them like it is, which I, I like to do and uh, just make it easier to understand. So that's my focus this time. So when I looked back, I was like, Oh my God, I'm like a completely different business owner. now. like, this is fun. It felt like, good to compare and be like, oh, I'm really thinking about the future now, which I had never done before. And as a quick follow-up, what do you have any tips for um, what maybe to watch out for, avoid, if you want to get the most out of that type of retreat? I mean, there are many different types of retreats. There could be ones where you just relax and zone out too. But for yours, um, what would help people stay on task and focus on the agenda? So um, definitely don't wait to the last second to figure out what you want to focus on. Like you should always have a running list, whether it's in your head on a post-it, whatever about things you wish you had time to do like for your business. Um, and then take an hour and don't look at anything else. And like, really sit there and be like, if I had 24 hours, what would I want to do? And write that out. And then it depends on what kind of person you are, but I am easily distracted. So literally delete everything, close everything. Like don't, look at it and also build in time for yourself. You can't just sit there and focus on big picture. You'll get overwhelmed. You won't know what to do next. Like, so it's okay if you only do a few things, like, because you took the time to actually focus on that, but do whatever makes you feel good. Whether it's like going for a hike, going to get a massage, spend most of your time doing that, go fly somewhere warm, like whatever works for your lifestyle. Like if I could just like get up and go to like you know, Spain for a week, bye, I would go. <laughs> that doesn't work for my life right now. Like maybe one day, sure, great. So I would say, you know yourself best. So if you know what's distracting you at home for you not to be able to do these things, 
you have to do everything in your power to not let yourself do that on your retreat and book somewhere that doesn't have things that will distract you in that way. Like don't book a place that's in your hometown where you're just going to like go to Rite Aid and go pick up your prescription and like things like that. Like don't do that. You can go somewhere, you know, and somewhere comfortable, but not somewhere that you can like go do your regular life errands. <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of answered my question. I was curious about the balance because spending all that time doing work, I can imagine, you know, being in the hotel room or at wherever you're doing this retreat, you know, eight to five, but that much brain work is exhausting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, having time to, you know, get a massage or maybe, you know, watch a movie or, you know, maybe a marathon of, of episodes of your favorite series or whatever feels like a, a, that's a part of it, but the, it would be really uh, tempting, I think, to show up and want to do that personal part before the business part. So there's definitely some discipline around, you know, making it work for you. Yeah. I feel like, I structure mine, like my agenda is written out as like morning, afternoon, evening. Um, And I have learned like just what I focus on best. So in the morning is when I do like the, where I really really need my brain. (laughs) And then the afternoon is more um, like one of my action items is to clean my, clean up my Google drive because it just has way too many things. So I'm going to do that like in the evening because like, what else am I doing? Um, But if you've ever been to like a conference for three days and you were on that whole time, you know, from eight to five and you go back to your hotel room and you're like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. That's what it will feel like if you do not build in breaks. Like you have to give yourself the break. Otherwise your brain is overloaded. So don't go into it thinking like, I'm going to get a hundred things done. I mean, like if you do great, but it's, you don't need to, it's okay. Have like five things max that you would want to focus on. I would say. Yeah, that, that seems like really good advice. And this seems, again, this is something we talk a, a bit about, Kira and I do, uh, doing this in your business, whether you go away, whether you are able to do it at home, but taking that time to really think through your business is a total game changer. So I, I love hearing about your approach to this, um, which is maybe a little more extreme than you know taking the Friday every week or, or whatever, but it's really enlightening. Okay, so my last question for you, Steph, is a little selfish. Uh, I'm curious, you know, about your experience in the think tank. You've mentioned a couple times that you're a member of the think tank. What has your experience been, and how has it changed your business? So, just like anything, when you're in something, you don't really realize it until you reflect. As you know, as corny as that sounds, I'm not one who normally sits and reflects on anything. But when you start investing money, you, you force yourself to reflect. So when I first thought about Think Tank, I I actually was considering the accelerator the year before. And I was like, no, I'm not there. And then I messaged Kira and I was like, I don't know which one's right for me. This is how much I make. This is what I do. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, you need the Think Tank. Like, you're, you're ready. So when I first joined, um, I will be honest and say I felt like um, a rookie just because like I I wasn't used to talking about my business. So everyone in it was more open. And I was like, oh, like we talk about these things. Like, oh, this is so weird. <laughs> but then it was like, oh my God, this is so great because there's someone there for everyone. And you don't realize how valuable it is to have people who understand what you do day in and day out. Like if you're like most people and you're a copywriter and you try to explain your job to anyone, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like my daughter thinks I'm an author. Fine. Yep. I'm an author. Like, because like, I'm not going to explain it to her, but I feel like my family members are the same way. So I usually just say like, you know, when you log on a website and like you see stuff on the homepage, like a copywriter wrote that and they're like, Oh, cool. 
but you can't ever have a more extensive conversation than that. So think tank gives you like my mindset coach put it really well. Cause she was like, your family can be supportive and you can have supportive people in your life that will listen to you. But like, who's going to actually be able to give you feedback. She's in the same kind of thing for her business. And it is invaluable to have people who you could be like, you're really mad at a client or you didn't get paid or you're, you think your copy sucks or like someone right now is writing a book and they're so hard on themselves. Like you're so hard on yourself. So just being able to go right into that page and being like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is crazy. And then you have like eight people respond to you with all different advice. Some people like me, I'm like more like cut to the chase. This is what you need to do. Other people are more like heartfelt and there's like all those different personalities, but they all understand exactly what you're going through. Even if you don't have the same clients, you don't write the same kind of copy. They're all in their own business and they're all in the business of writing. So they know what it's like to fight for your, your worth and try to make people understand how important content is and why you should be paid what you should be paid and why you are the business owner you are. Like it's such a confidence builder and it also it's really like a mirror. It's a mirror into your business. And it like, there's people in it that will be like, Oh, have you ever thought of this? Have you ever done this? Why don't you try this? And then you sit there and you're like, why didn't I think of that? Like, how come I didn't even realize that about myself? But it's really hard to do that. Cause you're in a tunnel, probably in your office by yourself at home, like with no one to tell you otherwise. So the think tank gives you like those 10 other brains that you wish you had to be like, ding, you should be doing this idea, 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 and give you also the advice on how to do it because some people have done it or they know people who've done it. So it's not like, here's this great idea, like good luck. It's like, here's this great idea. Here's what I use to do it. Here's what you should try. I know someone who knows how to do that. Here's another recommendation. Like it's just looking back now, I started oh, I almost at a year. Um, I am a completely different person with my business, personal, like thinking about my business. Like I am a business owner now. I will tell you when I started Think Tank, I was a freelance writer. Like that is how my brain worked. And I wouldn't call myself that now. Like I am a CEO of a big age. Like that is who I am. And that's because of Think Tank. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And it's been so fun to see how you've grown into that that business owner over the last year. Um, I would, I'm just curious to hear kind of what you're most excited about right now, because I know you're going to sit down and figure out the goals. So I'm not going to force you to share that before you've actually worked through it over the retreat, but what just lights you up when you're thinking about next year and something that you really want to make happen? So when I started Think Tank, I was like, I'm not a brand. I'm not ever going to I will tell you now, I'm not going to be on my Instagram story. It's like, hi, it's Stephanie. I'm not going to do that. That's not I do way. remember you told us a lot of things that you were not going to do. In that first conversation, you're like, I'm not going to create courses. I'm not going to create products. I'm not going to do this. Um, I am excited. So I know this sounds like a broad thing to say, but I feel like in the past, my goals were always monetarily based and you can only make so much money. Money doesn't make a difference once you get to a certain point. And I know it's easier to say once you have it. And I totally appreciate that. And everyone has a different amount of money they need. I still don't know. Like, I can't tell you, like, I need to make this much money. Like, I think I'd be happy between two and 250, but I'm not projected to go there. I'm going higher. So like, okay, I'll take it. But I don't plan on growing more. 
2022, like in a, a financial setting, which actually feels good because when I started Think Tank, that was one of my biggest questions. I'm like, what am I supposed to focus on next? Like what, what else is there besides a number goal? I'm numbers oriented. So I've learned that milestones and like feeling good is, is way more important to me. And so I'm really excited to be in a place in my business where like, I don't have to do something like it's not no longer reactive. And I have the ability to, to build something new and be creative and not be um, so worried about it from a financial standpoint. I mean, like, Oh my God, but is it going to make this much money? Is it going to do this? Like, I don't care. Like uh, Grace fortune, who's in think tank. She's like, you know, number one cheerleader. And I've talked to her a bunch about this and she's always like, um, you're not like any other copywriter I know, like you're ready. Like you, you need to do more. Like, and I thought I would have been happy, like just doing what I'm doing, but as it's finally nice to look into the future. Cause I feel like starting in COVID, it made me a very reactive person. Like, okay, well I have to do this because of this and now this, and now this, and now this, and now it's like, oh, I can look out into the future. Cause like, this is the future. Like, this is how we will work. So being able to plan because I'm a planner um, and have the creativity and the the flexibility to do it without worrying how much money it makes and just more how it makes me feel and like just be bigger than I thought like my my whole purpose of starting my business um, was to show my daughter like you could do whatever you want because I have always hated like being stuck in this box. And like, I'm used to make 55 K at my marketing job, but I justified it because I was like, well, it's in my town and it's this, and it's that like, no, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, whatever. So I have always preached that to her. And so it feels good to now be able to grow my business enough that I have more than just like pieces of writing to show her and be like, look, I did all this, like one day when she understands it and like, and you could do it too. If she asked me now, can I be a writer one day? Can I be an artist one day? I'm like, you can be whatever you want. And it feels good to like not be BSing her, like, because you literally can. And it, it feels good to know that going into 2023, which is so crazy, um, that I can bring truth to that. I love that. That's maybe a good place to to end, Steph. We really appreciate you sharing so much detail about your business and the amazing journey um, that I think should give a lot of copywriters a goal to aim for, or maybe hope that you know in in three years you can create a business that not only you know makes a lot of money but serves your interests and do it in a way that actually works in the time that you have to support your family and all of that. So if somebody wants to connect with you uh, and you know follow you, see what you're up to next, where would they go to find out more? They can go to LinkedIn. Um, I have I'm Stephanie Trovato um, and I am an open book on LinkedIn. You can message me, whatever. My goal is to like one day in the next few months have like a newsletter and like, you know, be there, like be more present and like uh, approachable. But for now, LinkedIn is great. And literally feel free to ask me any question, anytime. Like I know it's always like a, oh, she must be this. She must be that. She must be so lucky. Like I will tell you, like, I am just like everyone else. There is no secret. There's no, it depends on who, you know, like there's none of that. Like you just have to work hard and not take no for an answer because there are millions of businesses out there and they all need copy. So if one says no, just go to another, like you, you don't know them and they don't know you. So don't get hurt. 
It's great advice. Yeah. We will link to your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can connect to you. And yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully they will. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's not luck. It's you sending 20 pitches a day. <laughs> That's what months. it is. For three That's months. not luck. It's yeah. hard work. All right. Thank you so much, Steph. We appreciate it. Thank you. So that's the end of our interview with Steph Travato. Before we go, of course, there were a couple of things that stood out to us. So Rob, what grabbed your attention? Well, let's talk about CEO retreats because this is a big deal. And I think it's something, obviously we've talked about this before, but it's something that more people really should be doing. Even if it's just for one day or for one afternoon, getting out of the office, getting out of the kitchen, getting wherever you do your writing, getting into a new place with the intention of really thinking, thinking deeply about your business and putting on that CEO hat and thinking through, you know, what am I building? What are my priorities? What are the goals? How am I going to achieve this? What are the things that I need to build in my business to make that happen? Whether it's processes, products, services, do I need a team? Thinking through all of those business questions that you don't learn in a copywriting course is huge. And, you know, a CEO retreat could take a couple of days. Uh, or you can break it up into a few hours, but getting into the practice of using some of your business time to do business owner things is a critical practice if you want to hit a level like what Steph has hit. Yeah, we actually talked about it on last week's episode, which is number... 328. With Andre, all about how he he kind of moved through a period where he was stuck in his business. And he, he mentioned that the way for him to get unstuck was to start focusing the 18-hour days because he was he was working a lot. But to get unstuck, he had to start focusing on working on the business, not being stuck in the business. And so the retreats, any type of retreat you can create for yourself allows you to get out of the business, right? To not to have a day where you're not on client phone calls or answering your emails all day or writing copy or content for your clients and to focus on the business. And to me, that is the biggest win from a retreat. There are many types of retreats you could schedule. Steph books uh, quarterly retreats, I believe. So hers are a little bit longer. So when you hear her talking about two to three days, um, that's why it's not necessarily happening every month. I try to do a monthly one and that's one night. Um, but you and I also are part of a mastermind where we go to retreats with the mastermind group, which is another type of retreat where you can go with a group of business owners. We host uh, retreats in our think tank group where we we now are able to travel with them. We just got back from New Orleans with our think tank group. So there, there's a benefit to the group mastermind retreat. There are benefits to having solo retreats where you have an agenda and you're focusing on your business. Um, or you're just like giving yourself a break, whatever you need. Or maybe it's even with a collaborative partner or like Rob and I would go on a retreat together so we can work on the Copywriter Club together. So I think just thinking about what do you need right now? What type of retreat would serve you best? Maybe it's actually just a night off from your life to take a break and get some space. And that would be you know, the most refreshing thing you need in your business and in your life to feel better. 
Yeah, I also like that Steph mentioned that as part of the retreat, she doesn't, it's not all business. She does take some time to indulge herself just a little bit, you know, with a massage or maybe she goes shopping or something like that. So business stuff first, as we talked about, but there is an opportunity to basically say, okay, I've been doing pretty good in my business. I should reward myself. Or maybe I've been struggling with my business. And so I deserve a massage and, you know, as I get this stuff straightened out, but just using that time wisely the whole time, uh, uh, yeah, don't don't hop into a, a hotel room and scroll through Twitter or Instagram or whatever and, and waste your day. That's not a retreat and it's not helpful for anything. Yeah. I mean, she closes all of her tabs. She deletes. She's intent. Like Steph does as well. She deletes the apps off her phone. I have not gone that far, but I respect it and I might do that at some point. I usually am just so happy to be on the retreat that I'm I'm pretty focused on what I need to do and accomplish. And I know the time, especially if it's only 24 hours. Like I feel that clock ticking down. Um, so that helps with focus. But most of all, you're right. Like make it fun. This is to me the best part of building a business is the entrepreneurial part where you can, you don't have to solve problems or put out fires. You get to think really big and explore and play with ideas and think strategically and creatively about your business and your life. Like this is this is why many of us sign up to do this thing. So you know, give yourself time to do it, even if it's just an hour and you can't spend a night at a hotel yet, give yourself an hour a month to do it. And it could go a long way. Yeah. Along with that, Steph was talking a bit about how to make things work with your partner. She, you know, had that period where it was not exactly fun or where her husband basically said, you're not fun because of all of the time going on in your business, which, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever said that to you, Kira, oh, you know, are you me? yeah. So I mean, you know, that communication, that check-in with your partner, with your spouse, with whoever it is that's running the household with you, if if somebody is there is critical. And sometimes we get so focused in business and what's going on there and we rely on somebody else to take that stuff off of our plate or maybe it's going undone, which is even in a lot of ways worse. Uh, Check-ins are critical. I, I'm, I'm curious about how you do those you know, in your own partnership. Yeah, I mean, I have been told I'm not fun many times. And I think this is the challenge with early morning wake-ups. You know, we all can like brag about our, 5 a.m. wake-ups, 4.30 a.m. But the challenge is if you do those, you can be – for me, at least, I can become a zombie by evening or even by 4 p.m. when kids come home and you have family time, I'm ready to go to bed. And so um, it is a struggle. I think part of what Steph shared about learning along the way, figuring out where you can hit your limit, You know, what do you need to to really live your life while while – just being more robotic. Like I can become a robot and I can get into a routine where I'm really happy in my routine, but I'm not actually living my life and having fun. And so for me, I have to be careful um, and I have to go out of my way to create fun. Otherwise it will disappear from my life. And so even this yeah, today, I was booking a date night with Ezra from when I get back from my next trip because I've been traveling a little bit more than normal. And we want to have fun together, right? We want to spend time together. And so if I don't do that, I can easily just lose touch with the people in my life, with my kids. And so with Harper, I was, we're going to do something fun together when I get back. With Henry, we're going to go find a guinea pig. Like we're going to get a guinea pig. That's what we're going to do Whoa, for fun. So we're getting guinea there. pigs for fun. <laughs> but like I have to be really intentional about creating those fun moments with them. Otherwise, I will be the robot mom who no one wants to hang out with. So what do you do, Rob? 
Yeah, well, I am lucky that, you know, my kids are grown up, so it's a little bit less of, hey, you need to be up to do this thing, or I need to be at this school thing, that kind of thing. My wife works full time now, and I do a lot of the driving in the mornings as she's, you know, because I'm working at home. So I do some of the the Mr. Dad things or Mr. Mom things, I guess. You know, I, I do a load of laundry throughout the day. You know, I, some of that stuff actually happens here. And so there's that. Um, I, I've not ever had the check-in where it's like, wow, you know, this is really getting bad. I think I've been pretty good about making sure that, you know, I'm out with my family during family time, that kind of a thing. But, uh, I'm always conscious that, you know, if my wife comes home tired, then I've got to do a little bit more. Right. And I'm guessing that she does the same for me. And I maybe don't even notice it just because, you know, I'm not that sensitive to, uh, what's going on around me sometimes. Um, but it is crucial that we make sure that we are doing those check-ins, even if it's little things like what Steph mentioned, we agreed, you know, on Saturday I sleep in on Sunday, he sleeps in and, and, you know, those kinds of little things are what it takes to make it work. Yeah. There's so much communication needed. It's, it can be exhausting. Um, but you <laughs> need to do like You just need to do it. Right. It's so important because if you don't do it, things fall apart. And I am curious, how are you good at folding laundry, Rob? I am pretty good at folding laundry. There are some things that are really hard to fold. Women's underwear is really hard to fold. You don't have so, to fold. You don't have to fold yeah, it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually pretty good. There, there's a system for the towels that I have been taught three or four times, and I think I finally got it down. So yeah, I'm I'm actually pretty good at it. Yes. All right. Good. Well, I am awful at folding laundry. So um, maybe you can teach me and help me. We want to thank Stephanie Travato for sharing so many details about her business and how she makes it all work. If you want to connect with Steph, like she said on the podcast, the best way to do that is on LinkedIn. She's there quite a bit, so just reach out to her there. Before we go, we wanted to share a review of the show that was recently posted on iTunes by Elizabeth in the Netherlands. She gave us five stars. Thanks for that, Elizabeth. And she wrote, while transitioning from employment into being a full-time business owner, this podcast served as an amazing inspiration. I listen to it almost every week and find the stories inspiring, informative, and fascinating. Well done, Kira and Rob. And I hope someday I'll be featured on your show too. That's so nice. Thank you, Elizabeth. That that really makes my day. I don't know if it makes your day, Rob. but It, it makes, makes my day. The, my only question is, why is it on, on, almost every week? Why isn't it every week? <laughs> I, knew, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Um, we are grateful, Elizabeth, for your review. If anyone listening, if you are listening and you liked this show, please leave a review. I know it's a pain to leave reviews, but please leave a review and we'll read it next time on the next show. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed your show, I've already asked you, but I'll ask you a second time. Please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.